Shalom. Shalom and welcome to, to this week's lecture. And um, today, welcome and, uh, to this week's lecture. And today is a very, very holy day. It is the Yom Hehilula, the 26th Yom Hehilula of the Rebbe, of righteous, saintly, and blessed memory. And um, the, the class is going to be focusing about around a teaching of the Rebbe, as you'll soon see, rather than this week's Torah portion, which is Korach. So as always, we're going to start with a modern-day issue. And, uh, you know, because Hasidus is all about being able to help us in our practical lives um, and not to become split personalities, you know, spiritual, disconnected from physical, physical, disconnected from spiritual. So I'm always, always searching and emphasizing what a mystical teaching can mean to us in our practical life and in how we connect with Hashem, with our people, and in relationships. So the modern-day issue to, to be dealt with in this lecture is called interdependence. So what is interdependence? For that, I'm going to bring three definitions. And um, I took this from a dictionary website. And uh, number one, dependence. I'm going to read to you. Dependence has to do with relying upon or being controlled by someone. Pets and children, for instance, are dependent upon their owners slash parents. Definition one. Definition number two, independence has to do with not relying upon, not being controlled by, or even controllable. And lastly, number three, interdependence, mutually dependent, but with options and reciprocity and without control. So we have over here three different, I'm going to use the word mindsets. Now, a little bit of background about this interdependent theory. So a man by the name of Harold Kelly and John Thibault developed the interdependence theory over the course of four decades beginning in the 1950s. Interdependence theory describes the structural properties that characterize interactions and the implications of such structure for human psychology. Whereas most psychological theories focus on the individual, suggesting that people behave as they do because of their unique experiences or cognitions or personalities, interdependence theory regards the relationships between people as important as the people themselves. Thus, the theory represents a much-needed model of the nature and implications of interdependence. It is a truly social, psychological theory. And again, I bring you the uh, play, the uh, source, um, which is in a website um, called Psychology. Okay, with that being said, so we have the three, and again, I'm going to present it as psychological mindsets, dependence, independence, and interdependence. Now, many believe that the preferred state is total independence. However, that, in my humble opinion, is an ego-driven opinion. In truth, from the very commencement, from the very beginning of any social existence, and again, social existence begins when there are two human beings, 
So at first God created Adam, and then what does God say as the reason and to which he's now going to create Eve? And I quote you from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man is alone. I shall make him a helpmate opposite him. End quote. A holistic approach to this verse will reveal that every human being has areas in which they must accept being dependent, independent, and interdependent. In this lecture, we are going to define how these three different experiences exist within the Jewish people as a nation, within the individual, within the community, and within the relationship between a Rebbe and his Chassid. This lecture is based upon primarily on the second chapter of a mimer that the Rebbe orally delivered on the Shabbat of Torah portion Titzave in 1981 and then edited it for print in 1992 and the Rebbe personally distributed to each and every chassid this mimer. Literally the Rebbe gave a talk and then there was a line first the men and then the women and then children that the Rebbe literally personally gave out this mimer to each and every chassid that went by. And this was the last mimer that the Rebbe edited before his stroke and has become viewed as the Rebbe's Mimer Hilula, about to explain that, which serves as the Rebbe's spiritual last will and testament. Okay, let's get some introductions here. Today is the third day of the Jewish calendar month of Tammuz. So today being 6-25-2020, this is the 26th anniversary of the passing of the Rebbe, which was on the 3rd of Tammuz, in the year 5754, which coincided with the Gregorian calendar, June 12, 1994. So just a little bit of background. On the 27th day of the Jewish calendar month of the first Adar, it was a leap year, so just two months of Adar, on the first Adar in 1992, which coincided March 2nd, 1992, the Rebbe suffered a massive stroke and exactly two years later to the Jewish calendar date, the 27th of other on 5754, which coincided with March 10th, 1994, the Rebbe suffered a second stroke, after which just over two months, the Rebbe's holy soul ascended to heaven. Now, the day of the Rebbe's passing is a day in which our dedication to the Rebbe's teaching and guidance and our commitment to make the Rebbe's lifelong goal of bringing Mashiach is strengthened. Now, I want to focus on this specific teaching. In 1950, just a little bit of background, how the Rebbe treated the last Maimar of the previous Rebbe will give us insight in how to treat the Rebbe's last edited Maimar. In 1950, when Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch, the previous Rebbe, passed away, the last series of teachings that Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak gave to be printed was referred to by the Rebbe as Hemshach Hahilula because it was a series made up of four different Maimarim, each one 
had five chapters, a total of 20 chapters. The Rebbe referred to it as Hemshech Hilula. Now, the word Hilula literally means a wedding. And it comes from the composer of the Zohar, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who asked that his day of passing be referred to as a Yom Hilula. And there's Kabbalistic reasons to why. The wedding the, between the physical and the spiritual, the heaven and the earth, the spirituality of everything that the tzaddik accomplished all his life manifests itself in greater impact and intensity within the physical. Be it as it may, it is referred to as Hilula. Thus, the Rebbe refers to the last series that the previous Rebbe wrote to be printed as the Hemshach HaHilula. Thus, the last mimer that was edited uh, for the Rebbe is also treated the same by Hasidim. Just as the Rebbe referred to his Rebbe's last mimer as a spiritual last will and testament, so too we refer to the Rebbe's last edited mimer that he gave out just 13 days before his stroke as the last will and testament on a spiritual level to give us guidance through this short period of time until Mashiach comes. Now, this last mimer was edited by the Rebbe as a pamphlet for the leap year holiday of Purim Katan. So, just to be briefly clear, on a leap year, there's two months of Adar, and in the month of Adar is celebrated a holiday of Purim. In the second Adar is the full-blown Purim, with the Megillah, with the Shalachmonis, with everything. In the first month of Adar, we have what we call a Purim Katan. It's, so to speak, a mini holiday. We don't read the Megillah, but there is an emphasis of joy and focus. Now, that mimer, the last mimer which the Rebbe edited and personally gave out, was to be a pamphlet for the holiday, the upcoming mini-holiday of Purim Katan. And being that that week, in that year, Purim Katan came out with the Torah portion of Tetzavah, which begins with the verse, and you shall command the children of Israel, and they shall take to you pure olive oil crushed for lighting to kindle the lamps continually. That was the opening verse of that mimer. Now, that mimer that the Rebbe said in 1981 and, the, and edited and personally distributed in 1992 is based on a mimer of his predecessor, the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch, which he delivered in Moscow in Purim Kotin of 1887. Now, in this notes, as I always post after my class, you will find a link where you can literally read and hear audio classes on the, pre, on the Rebbe's entire mimer, the last mimer that he edited and gave out. And also, I am providing in the notes a link to the previous Rebbe's mimer that he delivered in Moscow in 1887, upon which our Rebbe's mimer is based and built. Okay, one more thing I want to share with you in form of introduction. In 1951, that was the first anniversary of passing of the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe delivered his first mimer 
focusing on the first chapter of Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak's last series of Mimer, the Hemshech Ahilula. And then what the Rebbe would do for all the following years, every year the Rebbe would focus his Mimer of that day on the next chapter of his Rebbe's Mimer. So in 1951, the Rebbe's Mimer was based on chapter number one of his predecessor's final Mimer. In 1952, it was based on the second one, the second chapter. In 1970, the Rebbe completed delivering the 20th Mimer based on the 20th chapter of his predecessor's Hemchechai Lula. In 1971, the Rebbe began again with delivering a mimer for the second time on the first chapter of his predecessor's final mimer series, the Hemshech HaHilula. Now, based on the Rebbe teaching us what he did with his Rebbe, I'm suggesting we do the same with our Rebbe. And therefore, based on this, the Rebbe's mimer HaHilula is made up of 12 chapters. Now, being it made up of 12 chapters, and this is the 26th anniversary of passing, this year would be the focus on the second chapter for the third time. Thus, this lecture is going to be based upon and built upon the second chapter of our Holy Rebbe's Maimer Hahilula. Now, to understand this, we have to first look at chapter number one and then go into chapter number two. So just briefly for what is required to know for our understanding of chapter two, I'm going to quote part of chapter one. So on chapter one, as I mentioned, the Rebbe opens up the mimer with the verse, and you shall command the children of Israel that they shall take to you pure olive oil crushed for lighting to kindle the lamps continually. Now, this verse, simply speaking, is God talking to Moses and God telling Moses, and you, Moses, shall command the children of Israel that they should prepare and bring to you the olive oil that will be used for kindling the menorah in the holy temple every day. Now, two questions. The Rebbe really asked four questions. I'm going to focus on the first two questions because that's what's necessary to understand the chapter of the year, chapter number two. The first question is, why even say the first word, the Atta, and you? Why doesn't God just use the regular wording that we always use when we talk, when God's telling Moses to give over to the Jewish people a commandment, which is simply, Tzav et Bnei Yisrael, command the children of Israel. The entire extra word, the Atta, and you shall command, A is extra, B, it's misleading because Moses isn't the commander. Moses is the conduit through which God, who is the commander, gives his commandment to the Jewish people. And yet, in this verse, God is seeming it to say that I am telling you that you should be the commander and command the Jewish people. Why? Another question is, and then the verse goes on to say, the next phrase in the verse is, that what should you command the Jewish people? And they shall take to you pure olive oil. Now here the question is, that as we will go on learning the Torah portions, you will learn, we will learn, that it isn't Moses who kindled the menorah, 
but his brother Aaron, who was the high priest. Remember, Moses was just a Levite. And Aaron was appointed as a Kohen, the high priest who would light the menorah. And therefore, the question is, why is God saying they should bring it, the oil, to Moses? Yes, Moses oversaw everything, but the oil doesn't need to be brought to Moses' tent. It needs to be brought to Aaron so that he can use it for the commandment that God gave him, Aaron, to kindle the menorah. These are the two questions. There are another two questions, but being that those latter two questions are not dealt with in chapter 2, I'm going to leave it aside. Now, let's begin the lecture. So as you know, I always give you a list of the mystical concepts we're going to talk about, and then we go through each one on that list, and then we wrap it up with the practical implications. So the list here is very simple. Number one, infinite connection. Number two, internal connection. And number three, take to you the head and the feet. And now let the amazement of Hasidus begin. So let's begin with the infinite connection. As I shared with you, in the simple meaning of the verse, the Atta and you shall command them, God is talking to Moses, telling Moses that you, Moses, are to command the children of Israel. However, on a Kabbalistic level, the word viato and you does not refer to Moses. It actually refers to God, the infinite one. Now that we know that, that viato is referring to God and you, the infinite essence, oneness of God, let's see what Kabbalah does with the next word in the verse. And you shall command viato now, when Kabbalah looks to word, define the word mitzvah, mitzvah, titzaveh, tzav, they're all the same root family, which simply means command, commandment. Now, when the Kabbalah looks for the root word and deeper meaning of the word mitzvah, it takes us to the root of the word tzavza and chibur. Tzavza v'chibur. What that means is a connection. And thus in Kabbalah, the 613 mitzvot of the Torah are explained as 613 beams, the beams which connect heaven and earth. More intimately, the mitzvah com connects the commander of the mitzvah, God, and the person who is observing and heeding the mitzvah. Thus, the mitzvah is ultimately a connection. That's what the word means, which leads us to the Kabbalistic understanding of the teaching of our sages in ethics of our fathers in chapter 4, Mishnah 2, and he says as follows, For the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah. Schar mitzvah mitzvah. In the simple text, that phrase of the Mishnah is a reason to the first phrase of the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Mitzvah goreret mitzvah, one mitzvah leads you to another mitzvah. And then he goes on to explain why. Because the reward of one mitzvah is the opportunity to do another mitzvah. That is the simple, practical meaning of that teaching the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. 
Now let's take the Kabbalistic approach to the meaning of that Mishnah. And it says as follows, Schar mitzvah, what is the reward of, being, of doing a mitzvah? Mitzvah, a connection, a tzavzah v'chibur with Hashem. The ultimate reward that we have by doing a mitzvah is that we are connected to God. Thus, based on this understanding, we now know that the word tzavzah, the chibur, the word mitzvah, the word viata titzave of our verse, on a mystical level, refers to connection. Now let's reread the verse. And you shall command the children of Israel. What is God saying on a mystical level in this phrase of the verse? It is that God is telling Moses that Moses' job is to connect Titzaveh, command, connect the children of Israel with the infinite one, the Atta, and you, the essence of God. So now we're having a mystical understanding that this opening verse is actually God telling Moses his job description in the deepest and ultimate fashion, that your job is to connect the children of Israel with the infinite one. That is on a deeper sense what God is telling Moses. And as you know, Moses is called Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our Rebbe. That means that God is explaining in the Torah what is the definition and job description of a Rebbe in each generation. And then the Rebbe goes on to explain, remember that this Maimah was connected with Purim, so the Rebbe bases on the teaching that Moshe Rabbeinu is, exists in every generation, and thus there is a Mordechai in the generation of Purim, who is the Moses of that generation. Thus the job of Moses is, in, in Moses' generation is the job of Mordechai in Mordechai's generation. Now, to understand this, we need to understand what does it mean that Moses' job is to connect his generation with God. And the, the connection begins primarily with emunah, with faith in God. Thus, the job of a Moshe Rabbeinu is to feed his generation with faith. And this faith is what connects them to God to go on and to do Torah and mitzvot. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu himself, in his generation, when the Jews were protected by the clouds of glory, ate off the manna, had water from a rock, their faith was given to them primarily through Moshe teaching them Torah. By studying Torah and the teachings of Torah, you become a man or woman of faith. Now, Mordechai's generation, Mordechai had to take it to an even greater level. Why so? Because Mordechai had to feed the Jewish people with a faith that was powerful, intense, and palatable enough to have self-sacrifice in the darkest days of Haman's decree of completely annihilating the Jewish people. The Rebbe then takes it to the Moshe of 
the previous generation, the previous Rebbe, and the Rebbe explains over there that the previous Rebbe had to feed his Hasidim with the faith that was intense and practical and palatable enough to run an underground system to keep Judaism alive in the darkest days of being hunted down, persecuted, and killed by the Stalinist regime. Then the Rebbe goes on and concludes, hinting to the type of faith that the Rebbe himself had to feed us, his generation, with. And the Rebbe talks about the depth and intensity of the faith that is needed in the times of prosperity that one does not assimilate, one does not redefine himself and his identity in his land of prosperity, but nevertheless remains true and faithful with a deep desire, never mind his prosperity and comfort, but his deepest desire is that Mashiach should come and we should return to Israel. We will have a physical home for God where we can actually see the hand of God and the revelation of divinity. That demands a very deep faith. There's a faith that demands that I stand up against opposition that wants to kill me. But then there's a deeper faith of needed, of a self-sacrifice against a society that wants to smother me. And that is where the Rebbe goes with this teaching of the verse, the Ato Titzave Es B'nei Yisrael. And you, Moses, will Titzave connect B'nei Yisrael, the children of Israel, with the Viato, the infinite essence of God. You will do that through feeding them faith and at times a faith intense and palatable enough to stand up with self-sacrifice against persecution and against assimilation. That is one piece. Now let's go to the next piece, internal connection. Now, I want to just share that while the focus of the interpretation and you shall command the Jewish people, meaning you shall connect them with me by giving them faith in me, there is a footnote in this very chapter which alludes to what the Rebbe will be talking about in chapter 11. I find it important for the completion of understanding this chapter to explain that footnote and what the Rebbe talks about in chapter 11. And what the Rebbe points out here is that while there is the mystical understanding that the Ato Tetzave as B'nai Yisrael, the Viata goes on God, meaning that Moses should Tetzave connect B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, with the Viata, the essence of God. However, the Rebbe points out that in the simple definition of the verse, Viata refers to Moses, not to God. And thus, in the simplistic reading of the verse, according to Kabbalah, and you should connect, unite the children of Israel. 
which means that here we're defining the definition of a Rebbe is not just to connect the Jewish people with God, but to connect the Jewish people amongst themselves. And now let us look at this interesting teaching. By the way, parenthetically speaking, I personally saw a copy of the handwriting of the Rebbe in which the Rebbe defined his job as a Rebbe. There's a whole reason why the Rebbe had to define it, but the Rebbe defined it literally as his job is to connect the limbs and organs of the Jewish people one to another. And the Rebbe actually gave an example to connect the Jew who's serving God in Australia with the Jew who's serving God in Russia, with the Jew who's serving God in, is in America, and with the Jew who's serving God in Israel. And so you see that this interpretation the Rebbe has here in the footnote, which takes you to chapter 11, the Rebbe sees it as a practical definition of his job as a Rebbe. Now, let us connect what the Rebbe is saying here concerning faith, connection to God, with the connection between one Jew and another. And to understand this, we need to look at the source. What does it mean, true unity amongst the children of Israel? What does that mean? And the answer is, if we turn to chapter 32 in Tanya, and over there, the, the Altarebbe explains, after explaining in chapter 31, that what the primary service of the Jew is, to realize that his soul is his primary identity and his body is his secondary identity. Thus, when we can connect with our true identity is not our body and our physicality, but the essence definition of who we are is our soul. The Rebbe, the Rebbe then says in chapter 32, and based on this, we can understand the commandment of love your fellow as yourself, for he is, she is, he is truly yourself. In other words, by understanding that my main identity is my soul. And what is my soul? Quoting the Alter Rebbe from chapter 2 in Tanya, which is a quote from a Medrash, says that truly a piece of God. The core essence of my soul is truly a piece of God, which leads us to the next statement that the Alter Rebbe makes in chapter 32, Tanya, that from the soul's perspective, quote unquote, they are actually all equal. They all have one father. Thus, my love to you is actually kamocha, because like yourself, you are and I are part of one greater whole. And truly, we are one. Thus, the true definition of Moses connecting the Jewish people one to another is by revealing within each and every Jew the true identity by connecting the Jew to the essence of their soul, they will see their fellow Jew as part and parcel of who they are. Thus, it would literally be like my right hand loves my left hand, which loves my chest, which loves... We are one. Now, by understanding that the love and unity from one to another is all about revealing the essence of the soul to the Jew, connecting me with my truest identity, the core essence of my soul, 
Now we can understand how that works hand in hand with connecting us to God. Because the ultimate connecting a Jew with God, connecting a Jew with a faith, is not through giving him external teachings of the Torah or showing him external revelations of divinity and miracles, which he or she has to then internalize. The ultimate definition of having faith in God is by connecting me and revealing within me the essence, the core essence of my soul, which is truly a piece of God. And when I'm connected with the essence of my soul, which is truly a piece of God, thus my faith is not something from the external, which I need to internalize and digest, but rather it is who I am. Truly a piece of God believing with absolute faith and connection to God. Now, with that being said, let us go to the third and last concept, which is the concept of head and feet. And the reason why I want to share with you that concept is because we need to move on to the next phrase in the verse. And they shall take unto you oil. And the question we asked was, why take unto you the oil if the oil needs to go to Aaron who has to kindle the menorah? So let's look at the mystical deeper insight to those words and take unto you, Moses. Now, to understand this, we're going to look at a verse which Moses said in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 21. So the background there is that the Jewish people begin to complain, we don't want to eat just the manna, we want to have some meat. And then Moses turns to God, and I quote you the verse. Moses said, 600,000 people on foot are the people in whose midst I am. And you, God, and you say, I will give them meat and they will eat it for a full month? Now, simply speaking, Moses is saying, you know, how, how, God, do you want me, whose job it is to teach Torah, to give faith, how do you want me now to go ahead and feed 600,000 people with meat? That is the simple meaning of the verse. Now, let's take a deeper look. Why does the verse say, 600,000 people on foot. What does it mean, ragle ha'am? What does it mean on foot? Why doesn't he just say, there's 600,000 people that you want me to feed? What does that mean, ragle ha'am? And what does it mean, asher anochi bikirbo, which I, anochi, am in their midst? I mean, what Moses was trying to say, he should have just said. God, there are 600,000 people and you want me, a soul leader, to now feed 600,000 people with meat. So let's go into the mystical level of this verse. The verse is speaking of the depth of the relationship between a Rebbe and his generation, in which the head gives the feet what the feet do not have on their own, namely a deeper spiritual conscience faith, and relationship with God. However, so too do the feet offer the head what it, the head, 
does not have on its own. And it is specifically through the mobility of the feet that the head experiences that of which on its own it could never experience. Now on a mystical level, the verse is clearly stating the unprecedented experience that the feet offer the head, namely, in whose midst I am. That is the unprecedented experience of the head, the Rebbe, through his dedicating himself and sacrificing his own growth and spirituality to tend to the feet, the rest of the body, the generation. Now, let's see what this means. The opening words of the Ten Commandments are, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I, the Lord, your God. Now, mystically speaking, these three opening words, in Hebrew, there are three words, Anochi, I, Hashem, the Lord, Elokecha, your God. Now, what this means on a Kabbalistic level is that we're referring, <coughs> excuse me, to three different levels, dimensions in our relationship with God. There is I, the essence of God. There is Hashem, the Lord, which refers to the infinite light. And there is Elekecha, your God, which refers to the finite light of God, which becomes the soul of all creation. Now, while for a soul such as Moses, very lofty soul, has both the finite light and the infinite light can be absorbed, internalized, and digested. Nevertheless, the anochi, the I, the essence of God, cannot be internalized by Moses. Parenthetically speaking, you will recall when Moses asked God, show me your face, God said, you cannot see my face and remain alive. That means that there is a level that is beyond even the capacity of Moses to be able to internalize and digest. That is the Anochi. Now let's go back to what Moses said in the verse in his relationship to the Jewish people. And that is that even though Moses on his own cannot internalize the essence of God, nevertheless, through his self-sacrifice, to go ahead and give up his own personal growth and his personal relationship to God. And instead, he tends to the needs, from the spiritual needs to the physical needs, meat of the Jewish people. Through that, the feet give the head something which is unreachable and unprecedented to the head. And what is that? That the anochi, the I essence of God, should become Bikir boy. It, it should be digested, absorbed, and internalized within Moses himself. Thus, we have, for example, the teaching of our sages. Much I have learned from my teacher, more from my colleagues, and most from my students. Thus, by Moses tending to his students, by the head dedicating itself also to the needs of its body, Thus, the head reaches unprecedented heights. Now, we can go back to the phrase in our verse. 
Eilecho Shemen Zayis. And the children of Israel, the feet to which you, to whom you dedicate yourself, which is self-sacrifice, they will bring to you the olive oil, i.e. unprecedented divine light. Thus we have the completion of the understanding between the relationship of a Rebbe and his generation, the head and the feet, that the head allows itself to sacrifice its own spiritual growth in order to deal with the feet and its needs, the rest of the body, and in turn, the feet bring to the head unprecedented heights in which the essence of God becomes internalized by the head. And thus, it now has a full circle in which the ultimate definition of faith which gives us the power for self-sacrifice, even in times of prosperity, not to assimilate, but to remain focused on who we are and who, which is our land and what we yearn for is all about revealing the essence of the Jew to him or her, through which he now becomes one with every other Jew, one with God, and one with a practical, palatable, and tangible faith in God. In closing, we can now understand that each and every individual has their individuality in which they are independent, having their own unique gift and service to God. However, together with this being that we are but part of a oneness of a greater being, we also have dependence and interdependence upon each other. The depths behind this reality is that while on external levels we all have our own talents, gifts, and purpose, nevertheless, from our essence level, we are all but one child to God. Thus, our dependence and interdependence is not on something or someone external, but on what is most internal at the very core of our being, that we are all truly one. And with this, it now becomes clearer, the relationship that exists between a Rebbe and his Hasidim, in which the relationship is as of that of one body, in which the head and the body are communicating in a healthy, holistic fashion. Thank you.